Some of you have asked how you can help us. While most of us would say, we want wine. <sighs> Italia Wine Podcast is a publicly funded, sponsor-driven enterprise that needs the moolah. You can donate through Patreon or GoFundMe by heading to italianwinepodcast.com. We would appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Thanks for tuning in to Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People on the Italian Wine Podcast. I'm Steve Ray, your host, and this podcast features interviews with the people actually making a difference in the Italian wine market in America, their experiences, challenges, and personal stories. And I'll be adding a practical focus to the conversation based on my 30 years in the business. So if you're interested in not just learning how, but also how else, then this pod is for you. Hello, I'm Steve Ray, and welcome to this week's edition of Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People. My guest today is Alice Wong, who is the founder and principal of Vinitude Asia. Alice, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Steve. We're recording this interview today in Verona at the Wine to Wine conference, Wine to Wine, wine number two, W-I-N-E dot net, if you want some more information on it. And Alice, are you going to be speaking um, at this event? Yes, I did actually yesterday. Oh, you did? Yes. So I missed it. I apologize. <laughs> it was a long Tell day. Tell me what you talked about. <laughs> yesterday it was about how to, um, I was a moderator for Polly Hammond's session. Oh. So it was about how to make your business stand out in this noisy world, how to make sure people remember your brand and your products. It was a fantastic session. Polly did a great job. Tell us about the, the functions of your company and, and what services you provide. Okay. So we do both um, certify and one-on-one wine coaching. So essentially, I'm a wine ambassador and educator. Uh, But not only we do certify courses for WSET and also the VIA, VIA, um, Italian Wine Maestro course, uh, but we also do one-on-one coaching, privatized, customized wine education, because there are people out there who like to get a certification for their wine education, but there are some people who just want something customized for their special interests. So we do that as well. And we have a quite a pretty good uh, feedback from our clients for those. It can be individuals. It can also be for corporate training. So uh, wine education in multiple aspects. So both consumer and the trade. Yes, correct. Cool. Okay. So And then you also do, well, you just talked about events. Yes, um, yes. Yeah, since I, talk, uh, since I mentioned that wine education come in different forms, besides uh, promoting wines and the culture of wine in, in a classroom setting, we also do a lot of events um, to let people understand wine and appreciate wines in a more casual and laid-back settings. So yes, we do events. Uh, my specialty is obviously in Italian wines. Uh, so I am fortunate to get to work uh, quite closely with the uh, Consulate of Italy in Hong Kong and also the Italian trade agency in Hong Kong. Uh, so a lot of our Italian wine events are with official agencies, government agencies in Hong Kong. So reaching out to the bigger market. And also, I also work quite closely with the Auto RDG Consortio uh, to work with both on trade education as well as media promotions. Okay, so Alto Adige, there's probably, I think, another 120 different consortia in, <laughs> in Italy. Are you interested in working with others? Have you worked with others? Is that part of your plan? And how different is it working with a consortio 
versus commercial brands? Uh, I did actually work quite closely with um, the Abruzzo Consortium before COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, when every year we used to have a wine fair in Hong Kong, where Vinatilly also have a big room f- uh, to promote Italian wines, and they work with uh, several consortia depending on the theme for that year. So I remember the last one we had was in 2019 when the Abruzzo Consortium had a big presence for for Vinatilly in Hong Kong for that year. So uh, yes. Uh, I'm open to work with uh, any consortium. It just happened the opportunity came when that was the theme for that year's. Okay, so let's let's dive into the you know, Asia culture, wine, Italian wine, mm-hmm. pronunciation, all of this. What are some of the, I just named some of them, what are some of the challenges that you, what, what are the more important challenges that you face and how do you deal with them? I think, well, I think it goes step by step. There are there are um, wine drinkers who are beginners, and there are ones who are more sophisticated. So we're talking about different levels of challenges. I think in terms of the overall broad um, impression of Italian wines, that at the basic levels, some people are still confused. European wines, French, Italian, they're all the same. That's the first level of challenge. When they do get past that, uh, well, maybe not so much French and Italian, but Spanish and Italian. That can be a little bit tricky. And then when it goes to a bit deeper level, I think people do un- start to understand basic Italian wines, the bigger regions such as Chianti, Brunello, uh, Barolo, but then they stop there. So for us, it's a lot of work to try to help wine lovers explore other regions of Italy. But then that's when a challenge comes because uh, ge- geographically, there are 20 regions of Italy. So the first thing is, a lot of people don't understand where they where the wines are from, the north, the south, the central, especially, I guess, wines in the south. It can become quite complicated because they don't understand the geography. That's the first part. Um, they mostly know about Tuscany because of Florence, or they know about the north because Milan. So these are big cities. But when you go past the south besides Rome, um, they might have heard of Sicily. Uh, but that's about it. So there, there are really other great wines in the south from Sardinia, from Campania, uh, but then they get kind of lost. Where exactly are they from? And then, to, so the geography is the first thing that um, makes makes it complicated to help people understand Italian wines. And the second, like you said, is the pronunciation, because the name of the wines are too long. When the consumers go to the restaurants and they see the wine list, they may think it's the name of the wine, but they're actually pointing at Rosso. It just means red wine. Uh, So some people are intimidated when they see a really, really long name on the wine list and they tend to not, they would just skip it uh, so that they won't get embarrassed. So that's the second challenge. It's really the pronunciation. They see a really long Italian name. They don't know what it is and um, it's just um, intimidating for them. So the Italian wines that are sold, and let's talk about Hong Kong specifically, Mm -hmm. do they have, um, are they translated? Or is it the same labels that you see? In the same labels, the yes. Because okay. Hong Kong is quite bilingual. It's just that we're looking at Italians. So <laughs> those are not English. So that's a different thing. Okay, one of my beliefs is um, for American consumers, what they want to know is what does the wine taste like in words that I understand? Mm-hmm. And number two, will it go with what I'm making for dinner tonight because 80% of the wine purchased in the U.S. is consumed within 24 hours of purchase. How do people in China consume wine? It's not kind of this historic cultural food and wine partnership or pairing. That's an interesting point. Um, I, I think there are two ways to look at it. In terms of wine, we don't, in Asia for the most part, um, we don't really have a culture of 
uh, growing growing grapes, making wines. So it's a foreign culture for us. So and and obviously these days they do make wines now in China and in Japan, but that's still a new thing. We don't grow up drinking wines to have a wine culture. It is something that's quite new to most of us. So it depends. Some people drink wine looking for a foreign experience, a cultural experience.、Um, so they do think about, oh, tonight I'm going to make pasta. So let me get an Italian wine or or pizza. I'll get Italian wines versus if they are going to make、uh, mac and cheese tonight. I consider that that American food. They will get American wines. So for them, instead of basic home cooking or making Chinese food, let me get some Italian wines to fit in my Chinese cooking. For the most part, a lot of people do tend to fit in a full experience: Italian food with Italian wine, French food with French wine. Usually, that's the first thing that kicked in. For more sophisticated drinkers, obviously they can mix and match different ways. But that also apply a little bit to my experience when I work with some Italian wineries and also consortia. When they ask us to promote their products, we would like you to make an event to show how our wine, Italian wines, pair with local food. Some people like it, some people don't. That's my that's my impression. Because some people, like I said, they want a full, complete experience. Of foreign products, so if I'm if I'm promoting wines from Piedmonte for Barolo, oh let me go to a Piedmonte full meal with white truffles and Barolo、uh, or Bavaria, giving them Barolo to go with、uh, Chinese food. That's not the first thing they think about. I'm only familiar with Chinese food that we get in, <laughs> in, in America, and that does not fit. Yeah, <laughs> my go-to for Chinese food is Gewurztraminer and beer. That's kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the second thing is for a lot of wineries that I work with, oh, this wine can pair with spicy food. And in Asia, in China, you all eat spicy food, so it's it's gonna work really well. The answer is no. I actually don't eat spicy food. And depending on the type of spiciness that you talk about, and also different parts of China, there are many different kinds of Chinese cuisine from the north to the south. They vary a great deal.、Um, so spicy. Spicy food is certainly we can't stereotype Chinese so, food. So tie that back to the palate and、uh-huh. their、um, appreciation or what it takes to appreciate wine. I mean, it, it's it's a journey, right?、And、yeah, it's an education. And like in America, a lot of it starts with sweet wine, and then they adapt to drier wines and more tannic wines and, and、sure. those kinds of things. Where is the? I mean, you can't. The Hong Kong palate isn't a thing. I get that, but where does you know those things—the acidity, the tannins, and all that—fit into? Yeah, if I can simplify palates,、um, some people prefer a lighter palate. Some people prefer a stronger palate. Probably not as strong as the American palate. That would be.、Um, I think that's one of the biggest information I took from a lot of my friends. American wines in general has a really heavy palate. Uh, really concentrated flavors. Sometimes it can be overwhelming, especially for more delicate Asian food. So whether we're talking about Japanese food like sushi, or we talk about、uh, Southern Chinese food,、uh, which is in general a bit more delicate, most people are looking for either white wines or lighter reds to go with their food. Especially Southern Chinese, for example, Canton Cantonese food, whether it is Hong Kong or Shenzhen or Southern China, a lot of the way of cooking is by steaming. With very very little sauce applied to it,、uh, so heavy reds can be quite overwhelming 
for those for those dishes. Compared to you mentioned spicy food earlier, if you talk about Southeast Asian cuisine, they are not always spicy in the sense that it burns you, but there are different types of not Indian spice. Hot, yeah. yeah, not the hot kind of spicy, but there there are different kind of spice like saffrons. So those can be can be quite interesting to go with. Italian wines in general, just because of the kind of red wines that we have, be- between the spectrum of light and heavy, there is a um, different category with the aroma and also the herbalness and balsamic notes of the Italian wines can go quite well with those cuisine. One of the things I've read is the color red is very significant in, in Asia in general. Yes. Associated with good fortune. and Yes. Right. And does this apply to wines? And is that why, is there a disproportionate uh, sales of red wines versus white wine? Not in the context of red as in fortune, but I do have to say, I kind of find it quite annoying that many, many men, (laughs) many men, no, many men, many men um, don't drink white wines and sparkling wines. They think men have to drink red wines. I don't know if, I've seen two, uh, come across this type of men in Asia more than in, in the U.S. Maybe that's overall applied to many different cultures, but especially a lot more um, in Asia that they think, especially sparkling wines, is for ladies. White wines too, uh, men drink red wine. So has Prosecco been uh, popular there? Is champagne or, or uh, other sparklers? Yes, for, for festive occasions and also for free for brunches, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And also in terms of, especially for champagne, it is really quite, we call it blue chip products that you can always buy champagne and it can't go wrong, whether it is for gifting, especially for gifting, it is quite a safe bet. So those are always uh, safe products to, to buy. Okay. So let's turn our attention to white wines. What are the, the white wines that seem to be uh, welcomed, appreciated, purchased? Burgundy. Uh, first and foremost is white burgundy, uh, both for consumption and also for investment. So as burgundy and not Chardonnay as varietal. Right. So both red and white, but uh, definitely white burgundy comes up as top on the list. Uh, recently, I think the last few years, um, German Riesling has also been doing quite well um, because it has, it has a really big spectrum of sweetness. Um, so it can go from dry to sweet to dessert wine. So it's quite um, versatile in terms of uh, food pairing for for different styles of Asian food. And the price point is quite friendly uh, for the quality that um, people pay for. Plus, the assumption is obviously Riesling can age for a long time, but it's also quite ready to drink. Um, you don't have to wait a long time for to show the potential. You can easily get the recent quality, the petrol, the, um, the stone fruit components, you can get it right away and it's quite satisfying. So when we're talking about Italian varietals, I would think my mind would go to northern Italian varietals, like Pinot Blanc or uh, Alto Adige wines, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Italian Wine Podcast. Part of the Mama Jumbo Shrimp family. For Italian white wines, we're talking about yes. Pinot Grigio is always a safe bet, but there's always a lot of misunderstanding about Pinot Grigio because um, there are impressions about 
in WSET in the textbook exam, they will always say high quality white wines is Burgundy and yada yada yada.、Uh, simple white wines, for example, Italian Pinot Grigio. That's pretty much、uh, WSET standard answer.、Um, so unfortunately, Italian Pinot Grigio was given by WSET in a way that is labeled as a simple drinking wine. Which in that case, we I really really appreciate the Pinot Grigio from the north, especially from Alto Adige, because they make really really outstanding wines. But it would take a while for that label of simple Italian Pinot Grigio that name to go away. On the other hand,、uh, Sicily, the wines from Sicily is becoming really really popular.、Uh, I think we talked about before the well known Italian wine regions, Tuscany and Piedmonte. But those regions are more known for red wines,、mm-hmm. and Sicily is really、uh, the up and coming. Although it's been up and coming for a long time already, but it's really the hot and hip hip region these days, as the third Italian wine region that's becoming well known. In which varieties? Both the red and the no, white. No, but in the, of the whites, which Etna Bianco, so、mm-hmm. uh, Caracante, uh, primarily.、Okay. Yes, so、uh, so white wines from Etna. And Caderato is、uh, is that white? Yes. Yes. Okay. So I've heard. Of, I'm starting to hear a lot more about that. Yeah. Is that what you're referring to too? Is that the? Yes, that can be unfamiliar in the U.S., but it may be something that would appeal. Yeah, but I would say most people when they look for Etna Bianco and Oroso, they don't look for the name of the grape varieties because it can be blended, and also the name again is a little bit difficult to pronounce. Etna is easy to pronounce. It's four four、yeah. letters. Narello Mascalesi. Yeah. Narello Capriccio is a bit too long. To pronounce, so most people probably don't realize they are drinking the real the real Mascalesi, but they when they see the label Etna Rosso. Okay. So so yes,、uh, but the the name Etna Bianco certainly is、um, stands out as easy to pronounce, easy to order. You can't go wrong. Yeah, I mean, those are kind of <laughs> really important things. I mean, easy to order.、Um, your point. So I'd be remiss if I didn't.、Um, Raise this one question about、uh, Chinese. It's not wine culture; it's spirit culture. But the role、mm-hmm. of Baijiu.、Mm-hmm. Am I pronouncing it right? Baijiu. Yes. Baijiu. Baijiu、yeah. has.、Uh, it's always been like this big gift thing. It's. It's like grappa. It's a challenging spirit to learn to love. Yes. Is that changing? Is the younger generations still doing that with the drinking and gifting and toasting? Drinking, yes, gifting that has I think slowed down quite a bit in the last few years. But on the other hand, as investment value has gone up, I went to a Baijiu seminar、uh, a couple of months ago, and they talk about、uh, the investment value of Baijiu has been now going up in the top five to top ten categories worldwide. Yeah, which is well, what a lot of people might not know is. Baijiu is, I think, the largest selling spirit、mm-hmm. in the world. We think of vodka and scotch and all that kind、yeah. of. Baijiu exceeds that by orders of magnitude. Yeah. I guess because of the population of. Yes, and also they actually do have very very strict、uh, production regulations. A lot of people didn't realize that, but similar to Italian like DOC DOCG、uh, production protocols,、mm-hmm. uh, Baijiu also have very strict regional. Sense to it, you can only produce this kind of baijiu in this in this area under this kind of method. Otherwise, you cannot call it this kind of baijiu. There are about seven main kinds of baijiu. Right,、um, sauce flavor. Yes.、Um, but what I w- was really trying to find out is culturally, the role of baijiu as, as both as gifts, collectibles, and toasts、mm-hmm. have traditionally been a big part of business. 
uh, entertaining and all that kind of stuff. Yes. Is wine cutting into that? Is that a something that wine has to challenge, or can wine live alongside that? Well, wine is considered, for the most part, a foreign product, unless we talk about now Chinese-produced wine itself. Then there is definitely a, a national patriotic movement for uh, for people in China to embrace wines produced in their own country. So there are a little bit more competition, not just because of competing competition between Baijiu and wine, but also Chinese-produced wine versus foreign wines. But yes, I think in terms of the younger generation, wine is definitely a, a product that is appealing to that generation. Uh, it shows that it show it's a show show of taste and sophistication that they understand a foreign cultural product. And it's at this point, it stays again within most likely the old world. So people do tend to buy more French, Italian wines. There was a point when Australian wines were popular. Unfortunately, not in the so last few. It was came up, I think. <laughs> yes, yes. So that became tricky. Chile has made some big inroads in China. Yes, too. Is that true? That too, and also there are a lot of uh, collaborations between um, producers from from South America and also fr from French producers in in China, which definitely help. Not just because of um, the intention to um, to co for collaboration. It's a welcoming sign, but also practically it helps with the logistic of the distribution when there is such a collaboration. So uh, a lot of what we're talking about here is comparing and contrasting. And one of the things that seems to be the case, red and white, you were using the word feminine and masculine. Mm -hmm. There's a, a big difference, I understand, in the way women consume wine and the types of wine they consume and men. Can you elaborate on that? Yes, I think um, in, in, in a lot of ways we were talking about men would prefer to drink red wine in general uh, in Asia, and sparkling wines are left for ladies. But on the other hand, we, we, I see a lot of a big increase in terms of uh, sophisticated female drinkers in Asia. Thanks to WSET and a lot of wine education that's going on, people understand wines a lot more now, especially uh, they try to understand wines through studying wines. And, and it turns out that there are a lot of female wine drinkers that are very serious about what they're doing. And I don't have a real statistic studying, comparing the number of percentage of female versus male students. But I'm sure you know, in Hong Kong, there are four Master of Wines, and they're all female. Think and how many are there in Italy? One, I'm assuming, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, so that's quite... Not a female. <laughs> so that's a quite interesting thing. Yeah. What uh, does that mean? I think not that we're not just because we're geeks, but we're also I guess we're 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 naturally um, more in a way focused on understanding wines as opposed to sometimes wine can be a, a social product. So that tells something in terms of the the buyers who buy these wines. Like I said, men only buy red wines, but female on the other hand are more open to explore different grape varietals and also regions and styles. Um, so there was, I'm sure there are people who think about uh, zero calorie wines or low fat wines. Uh, that didn't seem to be the focus in Hong Kong as much as in people if they're, because in Hong Kong wine uh, has zero tax. So it's quite an appealing product for them to explore. So they're, they're willing to pay a little bit extra to try something different. People, after a couple of years of tasting wines, they would like to move beyond the usual regions of 
France or if, if we talk about Italians, uh, they, they're willing to go beyond uh, Chianti or Piedmonte. So definitely for, for people who are interested in showing their products, a lot of importers are beginning to be willing to import wines from Italy, from other regions, uh, because um, buyers are now requesting something different. I really drink this. Can you show me something different? What I said before about pronunciation of, of wines, actually, I think females have less of a problem with those in general, because I think most females in Asia have easier way of learning and speaking English compared to men. I think that's quite... Why is that? I think if you, if you look at even for kids, comparing ever since in early childhood for people from the age of three onwards for little kids, female or I should say at, 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 at that age, it's really girls are really usually more mature and outspoken and not afraid for pronunciation at, at an early age. Versus boys are usually a bit, they don't want to be intimidated and embarrassed by bad pronunciation. And I think, uh, and it carry on even for adolescents and for college graduates. Most females have less problem with pronunciations in, in a foreign language compared to to men. So overall, for female buyers, they're more open and they're willing to, to spend the money on different different kind of products compared to always buying Bordeaux, Burgundy, or that sort of brand name regions. So one of the other issues, uh, we're coming to the end of the broadcast here, but I do want to ask this one, is um, fraud in one, fake mm -hmm. labels and, and that kind of a thing. Is that a significant issue and does that impact you on the trade side of the business to women how? Not so much, not so much. I think cork wine is more an issue. <laughs> really? Yes, yes. For, if we talk about in uh, buying wines for a certain, at a certain price point, we talk about obviously fine wines would be the issue. If we talk about um, fake wines, I don't think people would pay that much attention to wines under, let's say, 100 US dollars, mm -hmm. whether they're fake or not. But once you go about a certain price point, yes. That would be a concern, but more more so whether you buy people are buying from the secondary market or directly from the retailers, uh, it's really cork wines that seems so to. So when you say cork wines, wines faulty wines, yeah. Okay, so faulty wines, corked, yeah. like bread or something. Yes, like that. yes. Okay, interesting. So what is the receptivity to screw top? Wines? I like screw top because I have a. You can keep wines fresher, yes, yes. longer in the refrigerator. No, all. I think in Asia, most people are quite open-minded to, to, to screw, screw tops. Uh, I think they understand the uh, rationale behind it. I think people may just still question if they know that it's a wine from Australia, from the New World. They right, understand I was going to say that most yeah. of those are uh, stuff on our screw top. Yeah. Um, the stigma is no longer there, certainly in the U.S., but that was my... I, I could see cork being really important Certainly for the celebratory or gifting and all that kind of stuff. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I also don't see there is a big issue with importers, for example. Somebody is getting wines through a screw tops. No, not okay, at all. Good. That's good to know. That's progress. Anyway, um, I don't know if it's progress in China. certainly progress here in America. <laughs> and we're not here in America. I want to bring this to a close. I, I like to end my interviews by asking, what's the big takeaway? We've touched on a whole lot of subjects here, but recognize that most of the listeners are in the trade. So is there something that we talked about that they could take away and put to use immediately? And maybe even if they're not doing business in China, but in terms of understanding it? I would say, uh, do not stereotype the market. 
we, we, we in general, I think it's easy to generalize a market so that it's easier for a lot, a lot of practical reasons, but try to really listen to uh, different market needs. There are, there are up and coming wine regions that people are really looking forward to. So if you, as a, as a producer or as an as a export manager, if you're confident with your product and you know there's something that you can sell, there are actually a lot of people now because they're more educated. They are ready to look for the next big thing. So as long as you're confident with your product that they are, they have their unique, something unique to it. Be confident and sell it. You don't have to fit into, fit your product into the environment too much thinking that this is what people look for. Right. Okay, great. Good, good advice. We're, we're talking this week with uh, Alice Wong, and, I, and since we're in Verona, we should say Alice Wong, si. which is what everybody calls you here, right? If people wanted to reach you, how would they uh, contact you? I'm on my Instagram account is uh, B E B E F A T P T, mm-hmm. yeah. Or um, my company is called Vinitude Asia, so you can always look look up my company. That's V I N E T U D E A S I A dot com. Thank you very much. Fascinating interview, fascinating part of the world. I haven't had the chance of visiting yet, but it's someplace I'd really like to. I really want to go to Ningxia. Is it I pronounced that correctly? Correct. Way in the north. I mean, that's like. Mongolia and the jet desert that they've made bloom with and they're making some really cool wines there. Yes, they are. Someday. Okay. So Alice or Alice, thank you for being a guest this week. Thank you a lot. Thanks a lot, Steve, for having me. So that's it for this week's edition of Get US Market Ready with Italian Wine People. I'm your host, Steve Ray, and tune in again next week for another interesting interview with uh, people in the, the wine industry thinking and talking about Italy. Thanks again for listening. This is Steve Ray with Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People on the Italian Wine Podcast. 